Well, hey everyone, thanks for checking out this message from Journey Church. These resources are so awesome to have when you're out in nature like we are and you gotta go be outside on these nice days. However, we want you to know that there is nothing better than true fellowship with believers and live worship with your fellow Christians. So be sure to use this message only in conjunction with getting fed in a community of believers. Hey, we also want you to get connected with us, so be sure to text the word CONNECT to 307-271-9160 so that you can stay in the loop with everything happening at Journey Church and get notifications about upcoming events. Hey, we pray that this message encourages you and inspires you as you continue this life on your walk with Jesus. Well, thank you so much for braving the cold and being out here with us today. There's something good about just worshiping together in person. And I know it's uh, tempting just to stay home in the pajamas and watch um, watch the, the small screen at home. Uh, and I look way better on a small screen as well. So I can understand the temptation there, but it's just good to worship together. Today, we are talking about this new identity. Um, we have been in a series of messages in the book of Ephesians called Sit, Walk, and Stand. Now, the purpose of the book of Ephesians is to give us that glimpse of learning how to sit and rest and receive from the Lord, understanding our new identity in him, and then we understand how to walk. How can I walk and live out this life and go through this life, and then we learn how to stand? How do I stand in, the, uh, in this world against the attacks of the enemy? Today, we are in Ephesians chapter 2. This is our second week in Ephesians chapter 2. We're in verses 1 through 10 that we're going to cover and look at here today. Now, last week, we started this little section talking about this message, from the walking dead to the grateful cured. And today is really just part two, where we're going to hit on some of the things that I didn't talk about last week, and we are going to look at how God has created. So basically, God has moved us from the graveyard to glory, from a life dead to a life alive and thriving in him. And that's what we're going to look at today as we read this. Now, if you have a Bible, I would encourage you to open it and follow along. I know um, many of you either use the Bible on your phone or, or I will have the words on the screen, but there's just something good about having that in front of you. I'd encourage you to uh, bring a Bible and use that Bible as we study through God's word together. If you are new here, I want to welcome you and thank you for joining us and checking out Journey. One of the desires of my heart is to make the Bible relatable and understandable to wherever you're at in life. That the Bible doesn't have to be a complicated thing that is not able to be understood. It is something that we can relate to every aspect of our lives. Do you know that the Bible interacts with and converges with everything that happens in our lives? We go to work, we have families, we go to church, we have friendships, go to sports, whatever it might be be, the Bible is part of that, and we want to make it alive and active and living in your life. And so I hope that's how you understand it and read it and are able to learn from it with us here today. Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to start and we're going to read verses 1 through 10. Here's what it says, and then we're going to pray and get into the message today. <clears throat> Paul writes this, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. At the time that you were dead, you walked in the way of this world, 
in conformity to the ruler of the domain of the air, the ruler of the spirit. That is Satan, Satan's plan, who is now operating in the sons of disobedience. We, too, all lived among them in the cravings of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and the mind. By nature, we were children of wrath, just like everyone else, just like all of the others. But God, who was rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ, Messiah. By grace, you have been saved. And the Father raised us up with Jesus and seated us with Jesus in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, Messiah, Yeshua. To show in the ages to come, the, in Hebrew, the olam haba, the measureless richness of his grace in kindness toward us in Messiah Yeshua. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. It is not based on deeds, so that nobody can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Messiah Yeshua for good deeds, which God prepared beforehand, so we might walk in them. Let's pray and get into this word today. Father, I pray that you would help us to truly understand who we were and who we are today. If indeed we have committed our lives to you, if indeed we have accepted you into our lives, Jesus. For those in this room who haven't, I want to pray that this would be the moment, the moment in time where they can look back and say, on that day, that January day in Gillette, Wyoming, I received you as my Lord and Savior. I pray, Father, that through the message today, not only would we understand who we were and who we are now, but we would understand how you see us today, what our identity is in you today, and that is we are your workmanship. Lord, make this a special moment. Make this a freeing moment. There are some in this room that have carried with them baggage. They hate who they are. They feel hopeless. Lord, they feel unlovable. They feel rejectable. All they do is look at their failures, present and past. All they do is beat themselves up over not being good enough and not feeling good enough. And why couldn't they just say that better? Lord, I pray that today, through this message, that we would understand that truth, that you, you love us, that you have given grace to us, and that you have made us that workmanship. Lord, today, take my feeble words, my inadequate words, and endue them with your power, and speak to every heart the message that we need. For, Father, we trust you. We rely upon you. We invite you to this place, and we want to hear from you. For what you're going to do among us, we will thank you and praise you. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray these things. Amen. Well, last week in Ephesians chapter 2, as we began that, and we started talking about the walking dead versus the grateful cured, I started talking about this book of Ephesians being one of the holiest books that we have in the Bible because it gives us a, an incredible foundation of what God wants in our lives. We looked last week 
this concept of going from the graveyard to glory, going from being dead to being alive and what it means to truly be alive in him. We looked at the grateful dead or the walking dead. We looked at the grateful cure. Today, we're going to look at the new life lived. In order to get to the new life lived, I want to walk back through the walking dead and the grateful cured of what Paul just said and hit on some things that I did not talk about last week that are very important in your own understanding of the Bible and how all of this relates to you. So again, let's look at the walking dead. What does this mean and how does God explain this? Now, last week I paralleled the beginning of the book of Genesis with Ephesians chapter 2. And I want to do that again as we start just to get your mind engaged with how we were apart from God. Here's what Genesis chapter 1 says, and I want to make this personal for us here today. I'm not changing the word of God, but I want you to see it in a very personal way. Because we can parallel the creation account of the physical world with the creation account of the spiritual. The creation of your life compared to the creation of the world. Look at this with me. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So I want to put this, make this very personal. Again, I'm not changing the word. I want you to hear it personally through your own ears. In the beginning, God created me. Do you agree with that? That we are his creation. That he creates us. He knits us together in our mother's womb. We are created by God. So in the beginning, God created me. Little baby that is born, God created that little baby. Now, the earth, let's put this again personal. Now, I was chaos and waste and darkness was on my life. And the Spirit of God, in Hebrew, the Ruach Elohim, was hovering upon me. And then God said to me, let there be light. And there was light. You know, that that is the picture of, of us. Your life, you're born into this world, DOA. You're born dead on arrival. We can think, we have a physical life, we can go about it and do life. However, spiritually, the part of us that connects with God is dead. We are born into this world dead. And our lives are chaos. And our lives are wasted. And our lives are dark until God comes in and says to you, let there be light. And when he does that, when you're born again, everything changes. See, that is the same story that Paul starts with here when he says this. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. See, apart from God, we are dead. We don't have anything of God within us. We are apart from God. We are selfish. We are sinful. We are destined for hell. Apart from God, we are, as Paul says, dead. You can see this evidenced, by the way, in every, every little child that is born. If you're a parent, you know that your children, as beautiful and as wonderful as they are, as cute as can be, are selfish. They are self-centered. They are spiritually dead. They don't have anything of God in them. I'll give you an example of this. You may have a little newborn infant. And that little newborn infant who is so precious and so sweet and so you would think vulnerable and innocent, you bring them home 
And that little newborn is so selfless because all they do is think about mom. And what they do is it's the middle of the night and they feel hunger pains. And so what they think in their mind as a little newborn is this, mom's had a hard day. So I'm just going to let her sleep and I'll get fed in the morning. It's not a big deal, right? No, that's not what happens. The little newborn starts crying and screaming at the top of their lungs because I want fed now. Well, that's really the attitude that most of us carry through life. I want what I want now. I don't want God. I want to live my life the way I want to live it. It's my life. I'm going to do what I want to do. Selfish, self-centered, called the sin nature. We are, as it says, according to Paul, we're dead. Where does the death come from? Well, it comes from Adam and Eve in the garden. Adam was the federal head of the race of humanity. The beginning. He sinned in the very beginning. God had given him a command. Do not eat from the tree. It was before Eve was even created. Eve was there being tempted and it says that the man stood right there and watched her. He was put in charge and yet he failed miserably. At that moment, death came into the world. They were not designed to die physically. They weren't designed to die spiritually. They weren't designed to die emotionally, yet they did. At that moment, physical death crept in, and they would decay, and they would die. At that moment, separation from God was there, and they died spiritually in that moment. And the disease of Adam has spread like a virus to every person ever born into this world. Through the seed of man, and you can't have a child born without the seed of man, this virus spread, and the whole world would be forever infected. You know why Jesus had to be born of a virgin birth? Because he had to break the cycle of the seed of man that was being spread to every other person ever born. He was the only one born without the corruption and out the sin that is passed down from Adam's race. So he says, you were dead. You didn't have life. You were walking around, sure. But you didn't have God. Spiritually, you were dead. Spiritually, you were destined for hell. Spiritually, you were depraved and full of depravity. Now, depravity, let me just give you a little definition of this, does not mean that you're as bad as you can possibly be. We often think of it as that. That's not really what it means because there are some really good people that are still filled with depravity. What depravity means is this. In God's eyes, you're as bad off as you can possibly be. See, there's some sweet people, kind people. There's even church-going people that sing hymns and are very sweet and kind and giving, yet they're still full of depravity and still headed to hell. That is what happens. You were dead. Now he says this, you were dead in your trespasses and you were dead in your, dead in your sins. Now let me explain those. Trespass means you're a rebel. Sin means you're a failure. The word for trespass means a crossed line, a crossed boundary. The boundary was made and you have made a willful act of disobedience. Again, let's look at our kids to get the understanding and the model of what this means. If you have children, at some point in your life, they will have done this. Now, 
I remember having a little child and we had cookies sitting on the counter and the child came up and just started to grab a cookie and we said, no, you can't have a cookie. It's for later. And so now we have set the boundary. You can't have that to take it initially was not really something that they knew any better. It was just that they didn't know the boundary. Now the boundary is set. Don't cross the boundary. It's for later. You can't have this. Well, now your little child, just God love them, your little child gives you a mischievous little grin and then tries to take the cookie without you seeing it. You ever had a child do that? Or something very similar? Don't walk across the newly washed floor. And they just start doing it anyway. That is called a trespass. That is a willful disobedience to the boundary. God says this, you were dead in your willful rebellion. You knew not to do this. It's evident everywhere. God said don't, and you did it anyway. That's what a trespass is. Now, what is a sin? Well, the Greek word for sin is harmatia, and it means to miss the target. It's an archery term, and it means to miss the target, miss the mark. So I want you to picture it this way. There's a target set out there, and you and I each have 20 arrows in our hands, and we start shooting, and I start firing, and I shoot at the target, and I miss the first 19. And the 20th one, I hit the target. I hit the bullseye. And I say, I hit it, I hit the mark. And what would be said to me is, no, you didn't. You missed 19 times. You can't do it. You're not perfect enough. You will forever miss the, you know, maybe once in a while you'll get it right. But you missed 19 times. You have your arrows. You're a better archer than I am. And you shoot and you hit the target 19 times, but you miss on the 20th. And you say, I hit it 19 times. And they would say to you, great, you still missed it. You may be better than I am, but you've still fallen short. You've still missed the mark. Unless you can do it absolutely perfect, you have missed the mark. So he says, you're dead and you can't do it. You can't be good enough. You can't work hard enough. You can't do well enough. You're a, re a rebel You've broken God's laws. What else happened? Well, at that time, it says you walked in the way of this world. What is walk? That means to meander. It means to aimlessly walk around. You ever been waiting for somebody and you decide, well, you know, I got time to kill. I'm just going to go to the mall or I'm just going to go to the store. I don't really have anything I need. I'm just going to go wander. I'm going to go meander. And you end up buying something that you really didn't need and you end up taking it home with you. It's kind of a waste of money, but you're meandering and you just happen to buy it. <clears throat> well, that's what it means to walk. You're just meandering through life. You're just going aimlessly walking around everywhere. That's what he's saying we do in our deadness. A dead person just keeps walking around aimlessly, meandering, buying things they don't need, looking for things that they don't want. And it's according to the way of this world. Now, the way of this world is the Greek word that means, um, it means course, or it means weather vane. What, what is a weather vane? That indicates which way the wind is blowing. 
He says this, you were dead and you just meandered through life according to whichever way the wind was blowing. If the world was blowing this direction, you just went along with it. And if the world was blowing this direction, you just went along with it. And if the world said, you need to think this thought, you just went along with it. And if it said, you need to do this, you just did it. And that's the course of the world. We just walk according to the pattern of the world. We don't ever take a stand because we can't. There's an old saying that says, any dead fish can float downstream, but it takes a live fish to swim upstream. We just kind of float with whatever the wind, whatever the stream, whatever direction it's going. And he says, that's what you were doing. And it was in conformity to the ruler of the domain, Satan's plan. This is what Satan wants. He wants us to all walk in disobedience. Remember last week, that was apathy. You just satisfy the cravings of your flesh and your mind. Here he says this, by nature, we were children of wrath. In other words, by nature, God's wrath was on us. By nature, because our nature is dead, the wrath of God is coming on us. What is nature? That is just the internal part of us. It's who we are. It's our nature, our character, our condition internally. It's called the sin nature. We have the sin nature. We're full of the sin nature because we're dead. And we start acting the way that we've always acted or we do the things that we've always done because the nature within us. Maybe you've heard the parable before of the scorpion and the frog. I don't know if you've heard it or not, but the scorpion was on, was living in a mountain area and the scorpion decided, I want to change in my life and so I'm going to move to a different part of the forest. He walks through the forest, walks down from the mountains and he comes upon a stream and now the stream is there blocking his way. He goes up the stream, he goes down the stream and he cannot get across. He wants to get across because he wants to change something about his life. He wants to be different. Well, he has a brilliant idea. He sees a frog near the bank of the river. He comes up to the frog and he says, hello, Mr. Frog. I have a proposition for you. Would you let me climb on your back and would you carry me across to the other side of the river? I will be forever grateful if you do that for me. The frog thinks that this is strange. Scorpions are not friendly. Scorpions are not safe. And the frog says, why would I do that? If you climb on my back here at the bank, you're just going to sting me and kill me. Or you'll wait until we get to the other side and you'll sting me and kill me and I'll die. And the scorpion says, no, 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 no. I would never do that. I want to get across the river. It would make no sense for me to sting you, especially while we're going across the river, because if I sting you, we're both going to die. Well, the frog finally relents and says, okay, I'll carry you across on my back. The scorpion climbs onto the back of the frog. The frog starts mightily swimming across the flowing river. Halfway through, the frog feels a sharp pain in his back. He looks back and sees the scorpion removing the stinger from his back. As his body feels paralyzation setting in all over it, he looks at the scorpion and says, why would you possibly do that? Now we're both going to die, you fool. And the scorpion looks at him, shrugs his shoulders and says, I can't help it. It's in my nature. And they both perish by drowning. The nature is what's in you. 
inside of you. I want to change. I want to quit being this person. I want to quit being consumed with the alcohol, with the drugs, with the pornography, with the, the uh, jealousy, with the rage, with the anger, with the depression. I want to quit that. I'm just going to try really hard. And, and I'm going to read some self-help books and I'm going to get a part of a group. None of it will ever change you because it's the nature. And the nature is destined for wrath. And in order for us to change in life, our nature has to change. We have to be made alive from death. You were children of wrath, dead in your trespasses and sins, walking according to the way of the world. But now you can be part of the grateful cured because look at what God says next. But God, the two greatest words in the English language, but God. See, that's the gospel message in two words. We were hopeless, but God. We were sinking, but God. We were blind, but God. We were alienated, but God. Life was bleak and dark, but God. I was dead, but God. That but God is the moment of life that we need. But God is everything in life. You were dead, but God didn't want to leave you there. So what happened? Well, he was rich in mercy. In Romans chapter 5, Paul writes this. For rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone might even dare to die. But God, he demonstrates his own love. In that while we were yet dead sinners, he died for us. But God was rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Now, I want to point out to you and explain to you three words that you need to know when it comes to reading the Bible. Here are the words. Two of them are here, and I want to bring up the third one. But God looked at me, looked at you, and he was rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Messiah. By grace, you've been saved. And he raised us up with him, and he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Messiah Yeshua to show us in the ages to come, that's in eternity, he is going to pour out grace upon grace upon grace to you. It's going to be measureless, and it's going to be rich, and it's going to be all his grace that is going to be given to you. Now, I want to show you these three words. Two of them are here, mercy and grace. But I want you to understand justice, mercy, and grace. In order to understand the Bible, this is incredibly important. So let me explain to you what these words mean. Let me give you an illustration of how these words work. Justice means this. You get what you deserve. That's what justice is. You get what you deserve. Mercy is you don't get what you deserve. And grace is you get something you never deserved. That's what justice, mercy, and grace is. Now let me give you the, the understanding of this in an illustration. 
let's say this, you're driving down the road and you're in a place that's very crowded, a lot of traffic. And as you're driving down the road, there are people speeding all around you and you're one of the ones speeding as you're driving down the road. Now, I know this is hypothetical because nobody in here would ever be speeding down the road. Am I correct? Never. Never. Speeding down the road. Driving too fast. Lots of traffic. Justice is what you want for everybody else except for yourself. That's what you want. You want justice for everybody else. You want to be able to speed and the police never see you and they never catch you. But that person who just cut you off in traffic, you want a police officer now immediately in Jesus' name, where's the police? Because I want them to pay. They're such a jerk. I can't believe they did that. You understand that? Justice is what I want everybody else to get, but not me. I don't want justice. I don't want the cop to pull me over. I want him to have a blind eye toward me. I want everybody else that cuts me off in traffic to pay. Mercy, again, justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. So let me give you the example. You're going down the road. You're going 15 miles per hour over the speed limit. Cop pulls you over. Comes up to your window, says you were going 15 miles per hour over the speed limit. Writes you a a ticket, hands it to you, says have a good day. That's called justice. That is getting what you deserve. You were speeding. You may argue the point, but you were speeding, and now you're getting the consequences. You get what you deserve. Mercy would be this. Cop pulls you over, comes to the window, says, you were going 15 miles per hour over the speed limit. But you know what? I'm in a good mood today, so I'm going to let you go with just a warning. And you think, oh, praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, officer. And you go about the rest of your day, and you just got mercy. Grace would be this, and I've never seen this happen. I hope it happens someday. I've never seen it happen. Grace would be this. The cop pulls you over, says you were going 15 miles per hour over the speed limit, writes you a ticket, gives you the ticket, and then he takes it back. And he says, I will pay it for you. That's grace. Justice, getting what we deserve. Mercy, not getting what we deserve. And grace, getting what we have never deserved. God is a God full of of justice, mercy, and grace. You may think, and if you do, you're thinking rightly, that how can God be full of justice and mercy at the same time? Don't that, doesn't that counteract? Doesn't one negate the other? If God is a God of justice, he demands payment. But if he's a God of mercy, he's going to overlook the payment. How can that happen? God can't break his word. That's where the cross comes in. Every sin has to be punished. A payment has to be made. Punishment has to be doled out because we have broken the law. We have been dead in our trespasses and sins. And as a result, punishment has to be made. So at the foot of the cross, we come. And Jesus hangs on the cross and God says, I will put all of my justice, my punishment onto him for you. He will pay the price for every sin you've ever committed.
past, present, and future on him, that's where my justice will go. When the justice is doled out because Jesus hangs on the cross, then he can extend to us mercy. I'm not going to give you what you deserve because I gave it to Jesus instead. And then he doesn't stop because he says, now I want to give you grace. And that is, not just am I not going to give you what you deserve, but I'm going to give you an abundant life. And I'm going to give you eternal life. And I'm going to give you the joy of life. And I'm going to give you and give you and give you, and that's called the grace of God. So here's what we have. God, when I was dead, because he was rich in mercy, he gave me mercy. I don't deserve it. I haven't earned it. I'm not good enough, but God loves me anyway. He gives me grace. Everything I didn't deserve. Blessings and kindness. And he will pour out that grace for eternity. It's a measureless richness grace. And it's all toward us who have taken hold of Jesus. Now, finally, the new life lived. Here's how Paul ends this little section of Ephesians. For by grace you have been saved. It is through faith. And this is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. So what do you need to know about this? Well, we are Christians solely as the result of God's grace. His unmerited favor that he gives to us. That's what makes you a Christian. You may say, well, I I grew up in a Christian home. Well, good for you. I'm glad you did. You may say, well, I've gone to church most of my life, and I've put money in the offering plate, and I've sang some songs. Surely I'm good enough. Well, that's great. I'm glad you did that, but none of that makes you good enough. What saves us? It is only God's grace. You have been saved not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. A gift that he gives to the undeserving people. You ever received a gift and you just knew, I don't deserve this. And maybe you really struggle with it because it's like, I want to give it back or I need to buy you something in return or maybe I need to give it away to somebody else because I don't deserve it. Well, that's the gift God gives us. He gives you a gift when you were dead, when you were undeserving, when you couldn't earn it, He reaches down with this giant gift wrapped in a bow for you. It's not based on deeds, Paul says, so that no one may boast. You ever been at a a party and you run into somebody who is kind of a me monster? And the me monster is, I want to tell you how great I am. So everything you ever say that you've done, they can top you. You did this while they did this even better. You went to this school. Well, they went to this school and did even better. You got, you got straight A's. Well, I got straight A pluses. You know, that kind of a thing. You know, one one thing that's going to be awesome about heaven, there will be no more boasting. We will all be praising God in heaven, realizing we didn't save ourselves. If it weren't for God, I'd have no hope. It's not about you. It's about him. That's the grace of God. We were dead. We've been made alive. It's not by you. It's by him. It's a gift he gave. You can't brag about it. No more bragamonies, only testimonies. (laughs) God has done it all. And then let's close with this. And this is the most awesome thought. For we are his workmanship. 
I want you just to note that word. I'm going to come right back to it. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, Messiah Yeshua, for good deeds, which God prepared beforehand so we might walk in them. Let me... Let me explain something to you. Uh, we have had, my wife and I have had the privilege of, of taking trips in different parts of different places. We've, we've been able to go to the beach. We've been able to go to the mountains. Many of you have done that as well. And we've been able to sit and watch the sunset. Do you know that sunsets are just absolutely remarkable? When you watch the sunset, you see the handiwork of God. The colors, the oranges and yellows and reds and purples and blues and all of it coming together and just the most beautiful sight that God has created. Maybe you've seen the sunset from a mountaintop or maybe from a beach somewhere. Maybe you've been to one of the mountains that you just think this is spectacular. Maybe you've been to an island and you think this is paradise. This is incredible. What God has done is amazing flying into some of those places and you see the ocean colors, the turquoise and the blues and how amazing it is. And you look at those things and you think God is a vibrant artist. Do you know that in the book of Psalms, Psalm 19, 1 through 3, it says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky shows his handiwork. The incredible artistry of God how amazing it is. And whatever your view of that would be, you know, if you think, well, it's Rocky Mountain National Park or it's Hawaii or, or it's some other place and you think yeah, it makes the Alps and you think this is, this is it. The artistry of God in all of those things pales in comparison to his greatest work. And you know what God's greatest work is? Look around because it's you. You are his workmanship. We often beat ourselves up, tear ourselves down, think that we're not good enough. Do you know that God says, you are my workmanship? Now, what is the word workmanship? Well, in the Greek language, it's the word uh, poema. You know what word comes out of poema? You can probably guess it is the word poem. Or another way to say that is what comes out of that is art. We are his poem. We are his art. Artists are weird people, just so you know. <laughs> musicians and artists. I don't know what it is with musicians and artists, but they are just different. In a good way. And I don't say that in a bad way. I say that as somebody who is not an artist or not a musician. They think things differently. They, they see things differently. They have different creative abilities. My daughter, Alyssa, is an artist. And it's amazing to me that she can pull out a blank canvas and she can look at that canvas and she can see the end from the beginning. She can see what it's going to be in a finished product before she's even put a brush stroke on the canvas. It's amazing to think of what an artist can do. Now, for me, I wouldn't understand that. You know, you could take some paint, put a blob of brown, a blob of green, blob of blue on this, and it doesn't make any sense to me, and I can't understand what's going to happen with this. But an artist can see the finished product at the very beginning. 
you are God's masterpiece. And he is painting on you as the canvas what your life is going to be. You may look at your life and say, I don't get it. All I see is a blob of brown, a blob of blue, a blob of green. I don't understand it. God says, no, but I see the finished product. And I see what I am making you to be. You know, you look in scripture and you take the person of Simon Peter. Simon was his actually name. Jesus gave him a new name. He says, your name is not going to be Simon. Your name is going to be Peter. Peter means the rock, steadfast, determined, strong, foundational, all of these things in this idea of Peter. Was that Peter in the way that he lived his life? Not at the beginning. He was anything but the rock. Would he grow into that name? Absolutely he would. You read First and Second Peter and he has become the rock. Do you know in your life, you may not have grown into what God has for you as of yet. But you will, because he's the artist, and you are the canvas, and he is making your life exactly what he wants it to be. Sometimes the changes we go through, the struggles we battle, are part of his master plan. I'm going to put you through this trial. I'm going to take you through this challenge, this turmoil, this thing that you're going to have to face because I am going to use that to paint on the canvas of your life and to make you who I want you to be. God has done that multiple times in my life. He has taken who I was and made me something different because of what he's taken me through because I am the piece of canvas and he is painting the story of my life. We are his poem. He is writing on you. And what does it take? It takes moving from death to life. As soon as you say yes to him, as soon as Jesus comes into your life and you're made alive, you become his workmanship. And he begins to work on you, sanding the edges, smoothing the finishes changing the thinking in order to get you exactly where he wants to get you. We have been created in Christ. And one of the things that we're created for, he says, is good deeds. Do you know that good art always reflects the artist? We had the privilege of uh, my wife and I about three years ago of going to see my sister who lives in... um, In the Netherlands. We don't get to see her very much, so we took a special trip in order to go over and see my sister. And uh, she lives there in the Netherlands. And one of the days that we were there, we decided to go to Amsterdam and we went to the Van Gogh Museum. And I'm not much of an art lover or art aficionado, but I enjoyed going and seeing the Van Gogh Museum. It's amazing to walk through and to read the stories behind the, 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 um, the, art that he has created, the paintings that he has done, the prints that he's made. It's amazing to read the story. And a lot of his paintings really reflected him. He was very troubled, had a lot of issues that he was dealing with. And you could see it coming through in the things that he would paint. You are God's tapestry. You're his canvas. And you reflect the artist's hands. You reflect the nature and the character and the love of God. And why were you created to do good deeds? Because that's who God is. God is a God who does good. 
and he does loving things and he does kind things. And you as the art reflect the artist's hands. It all starts with this. You were dead, but God made you alive. Not because you earned it, not because you deserved it, not because you were good enough, but because he loved you and wanted to show you mercy and grace. And when you said yes to him and you were made alive, you became a piece of art in the master's hands. Would you pray with me as we close? Father, I pray that we would see ourselves having the true identity that we are your works of arts, not in a bragging way, not in a boastful way, not in a self-centered way, but we would see that you are working on our lives, that you're painting the story that we need to have painted, that you're shaping and molding us in ways that need to be shaped and molded. It all starts, Lord, with you. It all starts with you bringing us from death to life. And maybe there are some in here that have never experienced that. It's not a difficult process. It's one that you can incredibly do, but it takes us coming to you and saying, Jesus, I need you. I was a sinner. I am I'm full of darkness and waste and chaos. And I know I can't save myself, but I need you to save me. Please come into my life and set me free. Help me to be alive in you. Lord, when we do that, when we cry those words out to you, you come in and make us alive. Our spirits for the very first time come to life and we can know you. Lord, now paint the picture. Write the story. Create the poem. Shape the pottery, Lord, of our lives so that we reflect you. Father, thank you for meeting with us today. As we leave this place, Lord, help us to know and remember that we are indeed your workmanship created by you, for you, and to reflect you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, you're going to be dismissed at this time. Have a wonderful week, and I hope to see you back here next week as we keep walking through the book of Ephesians. God bless you all. Hey, thanks so much for checking out that message from Journey Church. We pray that it inspired you to trust the Lord, to treasure people, and to transform our world with the saving gospel message of Jesus Christ. If God is leading you to give to this ministry, be sure to head over to journeychurchgillette.com and hit the give icon in the bottom right hand corner. Your generous contributions allow us to continue making content like this week after week. So thank you for your generosity so that we can keep spreading the message of Jesus Christ all over the internet. Hey, God bless you guys and thanks for listening to this message.